This is the Marketing Podcast Network. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm very excited to introduce you to Stephen Kowalski. Stephen is a leading voice in the global movement for conscious creativity. He has more than 25 years of experience as an organizational development expert, facilitating the creativity of scientists, engineer, engineers, business leaders, and professionals across industries to blaze new trails, catalyze creative potential, and deliver real-world innovation. He joins me tonight to talk about his career and his book, Creative Together, Sparking Innovation in the New World of Work. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Stephen. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Well, there's there's a lot to unpack just in that introduction, but I, I have to start I have to start with my uh, standard opening question, which is, Stephen, tell me, where does your story as an author begin? Well, I, um, I thought I would start my life as an artist. Uh, I love to draw, paint, design things. I was always making things. Uh, and uh, I, for a long time, I thought it was, uh, I was going to be an artist. I went to uh, school at Brown University, studied fine arts. Um, and I realized there that I was more interested in the psychology of creativity than I was in being an artist per se. I still think of myself in that way, in my heart, maybe a little bit of an artist in, at heart, but uh, this, this passion for why we create and, and what motivates us, uh, how it shows up, what we can do with this uh, incredible potential that we'll talk about. Um, over the years, uh, I've learned so much about this uh, that I felt that I just uh, you know, had to write this book and share some of, some of what I learned in, in Creative Together. So tell me, when, when did you start writing this book and what was the impetus to actually start writing a book on this topic? Uh, well, one day I just decided I was going to sit down and give it a try. And, uh, you know, it, it's an incredible process. It was 1999. So it was, you know, it was really before, uh, not 1999, 2019. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, that would be a long, uh, you know, that's a long story right there. But um, 2019. You know, actually, what's interesting about that, 
is that I've started to write this book so many times and I never made it through, which I think happens to a lot of people, not just in life and in, in, our, in pursuits like wanting to write a book or start a business, but also in you know, at work in, uh, you know, starting up projects, starting, you know, starting up ventures, especially inside of big systems. So uh, I probably did start writing the book in 1999 um, and also in, uh, you know, many years along the way. Yeah. Uh, but, but actually it was, it was 2019 when I started this version and I sat down and I said, I'm just going to give it a try and I'm going to take maybe a different approach to writing this book. Uh, than I had in the past. And that was to sort of let the book come through me instead of trying to, you know, strive and, and, and you know, sit down and have all this angst about writing and wanting to make it perfect. I just really uh, wanted to let whatever um, I wanted to say come through me. And it, it was a very sort of integrative, emergent process, actually, in the end. Yeah, I mean, I'm just curious, like where, you know, what was different about where you were in your life at that point in time in 2019 that enabled you to get it done this time versus, you know, th you know, having thought about it for, for years before even start and stopped years before, what was the, what can you point to that was different in your life this time around? That is an, an awesome question. And I think one of the things that might have been different uh, is that I had had so many experiences of uh, creating inside of social systems, inside of companies, uh, that that didn't go as well as I had hoped um, or didn't, um, you know, they just, it, you know, I saw myself in a way that actually I wasn't doing, I felt like I wasn't doing my best. And so um, I made a big change. I changed my department and I was formerly in human resources for 15 years. And I jumped out into a, a, a sort of internal consultancy business inside of our product development organization. This is in my role uh, working with Genentech, which is part of the, the uh, a member of the Roche Group, um, and so I made this huge change work-wise, and I think that freed up a lot, um, a lot of a lot of open space, a lot of spaciousness, because I I, I kind of took the reins to make this change, and and said, well, if I want something different, you know, I can create it for myself, and it was right about that time that I started writing, and there was momentum there, there was energy, there was passion, and I was learning so much in this new new arena in our product development organization. So so don't take this in the way that it might come out, but I'm just, I, I'm just curious to know, like how did a guy who, you know, went to Brown, he had an artistic background, certainly an artistic soul. How, how do you wind up in human resources? <laughs> well, my path to human resources went through my doctorate in education. Ah. And, and I you, you left that part out. You left the PhD out. <laughs> I left the PhD out. So, um, and and I talk about the PhD uh, program in 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 Creative Together uh, because there was there was uh, some seeds there of what I learned about creativity in that doctorate program uh, that that changed the way I thought about creativity and and so it was it was really important uh, process in my life. But uh, I had this inner calling to learn about how people learn. And it was through that program, I kind of connected learning with journeys of transformation and discovery, like the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about, and, and the learning journey, the change journey, and the creative process.
That's so cool. Is your doctorate in psycho- industrial organizational psychology or? It's in education. Education, um, okay. And I focused on primarily leadership and on creativity in, in, a, in the business context. And, and it was, one thing led to another. And this is what's so fascinating. I talk about this in Creative Together. You, you just, um, you never know where the journey is going to lead. But we do have to step across the threshold into the unknown. Uh, maybe we don't even know why. I didn't know why I was getting a doctorate. I just had this inner calling. It was it was a seven year process, so you know I had to be super committed to it. Uh, but I didn't know where it was going to lead me. And this is it, this is such an important point. If we do have this deep faith um, and and trust in our creativity, um, we can venture into the unknown. Uh, without being exactly sure where it's going to lead us. Yeah, let's. I want. I do want to talk about the book. I also want to talk about creativity because it's something I've struggled with almost my entire life. Because I had a very growing up, I had a very narrow view of what creativity was. Like I thought, because I couldn't draw, and I cannot draw. I mean, yeah. stick figures are the best you're going to get out of me. And if you look at them, you're going to think it's like a Rorschach test. Like I, it's like they don't look like stick figures. So I, I always never identified as being creative, but I've written eight novels. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, um, play music. Um, yeah. you know, I come up with some really roundabout solutions to problems that people like don't really consider. So I know there's like a creative part of me, but what what's your definition of creativity? Yeah. So a couple of things that are important here, you know, yeah. we're, we're all chasing after innovation, uh, but innovation is actually a type of creative result. So when I work with companies and leaders, leaders and, and organizations, uh, departments and so forth, uh, one thing I always say, if you want innovation, you got to back up to creativity, but we're not that great at talking about creativity. And there are so many people walking around with narrow definitions of what creativity is and who they are as a creator. And as you said, Many people think, you know, if I'm not a proficient in the arts or talented in that way, I'm not creative. But you, you're describing so many different applications uh, of creativity that we use in our everyday life and, and also consciously, unconsciously. So my definition of creativity is, uh, you know, our natural potential and potential is really important here. Our natural potential to invent solutions, new approaches to the opportunities we we face or we design for ourselves. And so there's a lot in this small sentence to unpack. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe I'll, maybe I'll say it again, our natural potential to invent new solutions and to, to the opportunities and, and challenges we face or design for ourselves. So my big question there is how do we uncover this natural potential? Yeah, well, first, it, for the first thing to do is to realize that it's there. Uh, and it's there with us. Uh, you know, I open creative together with this metaphor of being in a theater and asking folks like, where's your creativity in that theater? Is it up on stage with you? Or is it kind of sitting in the in, in the first row, not too far away? Is it way in the back or is it up in the balcony? Is it even out in the lobby, you know, checked out and waiting for the show to end? So, you know, what's our relationship with our creativity? That's first, just to realize it's not an ability as most of us think of it. It's it, because when we think of it as an ability, then it's distributed normally across the population. And some people are more and some people are less. And most of us are kind of in the middle. Uh, and when it's an ability, it means I either have it 
to whatever measure I have it or I don't. So the first key is, is actually a shift our understanding of what it is. And as a potential, what that really means is it's there when we need it. It shows up when we need it. And so my job is to realize that it's there, uh, maybe shape the circumstances of my life. Like it sounds like you faced some situations in your life, Mike, where you've had to tackle some tough problems or you've written these books, you know, though writing a book is a great example of a challenge we design for ourselves. You set yourself off on writing a book, you know, but may, maybe I'm dealing with a divorce or, you know, or a difficult family situation or uh, the, the, the river's flooding my crops or, or we have a pandemic or whatever, you know, these are situations we face. So um, the first thing is um, understand what it is and then understand what activates it. And we can talk about that if you'd like to dive in there. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to tackle what, or, or, you know, sort of unearth what, what activates it. Yeah. So uh, I, in, in creative together, I talk about how creativity is activated at the intersection of purpose, possibility, and constraint. And what I think a lot of people believe is creativity is just about, you know, coming up with possibilities, new ideas, new possibilities, and so forth. It's actually more than that. Uh, it starts with a purpose. So I have to have some reason why the status quo is not good enough. Either I have this inner desire to say, write a book, or I'm facing a, a tough situation and my creativity might be needed there. So the purpose is really important. It kickstarts the whole process. And then I have to do this dance between constraints and possibilities. Let me give you an example. In, in business, we're, you know, we're completely constrained by all sorts of things what our stakeholders want from us, what's legally possible to maintain the right to operate, um, the talent we have in, inside the company, uh, laws, employment laws, regulations, all these things are, are constraints. And, and then we have all this world of imagination and possibilities and ideas and, and, oh, maybe we could go this, maybe we could have new partners by doing it this way, maybe we could uh, cut waste in the system uh, by changing this process a little bit, right? All our ideas and all the possibilities have to interact with the constraints and all of that has to be in service to the purpose. So you see kind of how it works. It's a really interesting um, threesome that happens that activates our creativity. Yeah. And, and it sounds like you're doing this with like cross-functional teams. Is, is that, do I understand that right? Yes. My favorite, my favorite work is with cross-functional teams, especially teams that are brought together to do something new that hasn't been done. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love working with teams. Uh, you know, there's a piece of this that's about leadership and how leadership either fosters that culture of creativity and innovation or doesn't. And frankly, there's a lot of leadership behavior that stamps out our creativity and just kind of replicates all of the reasons why any one of us might think we're not creative. So yeah. there's the leadership piece to this. There's a, a behaviors and mindsets piece to it. And then, then, there's a piece of it that's about getting people working together on projects that require venturing into the unknown or bringing forward something new, new value. Yeah. And I imagine like, you know, you get these cross-functional teams together and I just think about, it's an easy example, right? Marketing, you know, let's call them our, our dreamers. They're going to come up with big, beautiful, sexy ideas. R and D is going to come in or the engineers are going to come in and be like, we can't do all that. You know, it's almost like, so how do you how do you sort of balance all of those sort of desires and, and personalities 
and and then get to a point where everybody is sort of aligned and on the same page with you know what 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 to do next i think the 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 key is really to focus on that purpose first and you know how how high above all the priorities of all these different departments do we have to go in order to come to a place where there's shared purpose and and i think that that's critical we all have to be you know understanding the the purpose that we're sharing together because that's what's going to supersede the competing priorities the different ways we do things uh what we think is is desirable feasible or viable um all of those things uh, you know the, the as we come down into our our silos or into our departments or different domains right all of that starts to get in the way that they become that becomes some of the constraints we have to to wade through yeah. Uh, so shared purpose is probably the uh, the best place to start developing shared purpose. So so even before ideating, it's okay. Let's get everybody aligned on what our shared purpose is, because those will be you know, that'll be sort of the filter with which maybe everything else comes forward. Absolutely, it's critical, and it's the thing that will take us past and through all of the other obligations, all of the other commitments, all of the other pulls on our energy and time. Um, if we have a shared purpose that's really meaningful, uh, we'll be able as a team to endure some of the pressures we're going to face along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I imagine in the book, you you give some real world examples on, on projects you've worked on. Well, uh, the book is filled with uh, stories about my life, um, especially in the first the first adventure. The book is kind of divided into into three adventures. And, and so the first adventure in creative together is a more of a personal story about how I'm changing the story of who I am as a creator. And that involves rethinking the definition, understanding how it works, what are some of the tests and superpowers I'm likely to face and use along the way. Um, and so the end of the first part is really about changing the story of who I am as a creator. Um, the second part of the book is about taking that out into the world and creating together more effectively. And there, what I've done is I've brought together a whole bunch of composite characters, almost like a Lord of the Rings band of fellows um, who are nobody but lots of people combined together, including myself. Uh, and, and through these examples and stories, people understand, you know, what's my creative style? How might that be getting in my way? How can I be, create more effectively with others, share leadership? get through the organizational sludge that shows up on any given day. Just so. Yeah. yeah I'm curious that process of almost like redefining or reframing yourself um, as a creator, creative person. What was that journey like? I mean, I imagine that's not something that that happens overnight. No, it, it's, it is a process. And, and I've heard folks who are really digging deep into creative together and they're saying, wow, you know, this is this is requiring uh, some attention and focus for me to um, really shift that story. So it is a commitment to shift the story. Uh, you know, this this idea of our stories and how they influence what's possible for us comes out of uh, what's called narrative identity theory. And, and that's really just all about, hey, what's the story I'm telling myself about myself? And I'm telling others. And we can listen to our stories and and as one of my colleagues says, create more geography um, and expand our story to include more possibilities for ourselves. So that's it, it is a it's a it's a lifelong commitment. Yeah, I imagine like the stories we've been told about ourselves 
mm-hmm. by outside people, you know, from childhood, family of origin, um, teachers, et cetera. I imagine that that's you know, those stories are probably hard to to change um, because they're they're so deeply rooted in in who we are. They are deeply rooted in who we are, and it's a, it, it it's a lifelong process to shift from. Uh, most of us are in this shift from life is happening to me, which is the socialized story you're talking about, the story that I created in relationship to what happened to me, and how I survived. Uh, there, the the shift that happens uh, beyond that is, you know, I have agency. I have I I can self I can self author my story. Um, and I have a lot more agency than I think I have. And that's a lot of what the book's about. It's like, how do you bring your creativity forward to author a new story and then bring that story out into the world and create more effectively with others? You know, you've, you've, and maybe, you know, the answer to that first question I asked was, you know, what what's different now? What was different in 2019 is you've lived enough of your life to realize that you do have that agency, that you you can be in the driver's seat versus the passenger seat of yes. life. Is, is there any truth in, into that assumption I just made? Oh, yes. Yes. And, you know, it, it's interesting because it wasn't until this last shift where I was in a situation at work that I was, I was really unhappy. I was in a team and I just was not flourishing. And I was, you know, in this life is happening to me, you know, other people need to change uh, kind of place. And I finally realized actually it's me. I I can change, not, not and and I can move towards something instead of moving away from something. And that was that was like the huge shift. Um, you know, like I don't have to get away from this bad situation because then I'm stuck and I'm looking backwards and I'm I'm moving away from something. It was in this transition to to realizing I could move towards something. Uh, that that's when the book came forward, and I think it was you. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm really kind of thinking deeply about this now that you're asking me these questions, because I never really thought of it that way, um, that it was this con- confluence of a number of things, this story that wanted to come out from years of experience, but also the shifts that I was experiencing in my life and work at the same time. Yeah. See, I can be smart sometimes. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Um, well, you know, that, that kind of leads into another question, which is, you know, writing a book is, is certainly that doesn't happen overnight. It's a long process. You go through so many steps in terms of um, first draft, second drafts, you know, pitching it to agents, working with editors, getting feedback and getting more feedback and then rewriting and getting more feedback. What, mm. what did you learn about yourself during the writing and publishing process? Any big insights into yourself? Yes. Um, I'll, I started writing, I wrote 90 pages single spaced. And then I thought one day I was like, you know what, I'm writing a book about creativity and creating together. And I'm saying things like, you know, the idea that we can create alone is a myth. We gotta, you know, and, and here I am 90 pages in and I haven't shared it or shown it to anybody. And I think like a lot of people, I was, I was a little nervous and scared of like what I was gonna hear or what people would say. Uh, so I sought out a friend of mine who had written a bunch of books and asked, do you have a coach or anybody you work with? And he introduced me to his writing coach. And mm-hmm. it turned out to be a fantastic uh, relationship where we were involved in this process of co-creation while I was writing about co-creation. And so the, to, your, to your question, what I learned about myself was, you know, I need to bring a little bit more awareness sometimes 
to the fact that I want to create with other people. I don't want to do it alone. I don't think we can do it alone. And yeah. I think there are a lot of folks who still think creativity is a is a is something that I own, but it's actually something to be shared. Yeah, I think um, two things just to reflect on there. Number one, writing writing a book, really writing anything, requires a, a lot of vulnerability um, because you're putting your soul into these pages. And you know, you mentioned kind of being nervous sharing it with other people, but you know, writing, you know, you have to make yourself vulnerable to feedback, to criticism, because at some point, it's going to be on book bookstore shelves, hopefully. People are going to read it. You're going to get reviews. Um, you know, or an editor is going to come and say, hey, you know, this doesn't make much sense. Did you really think this through? Mm. Um, so you need vulnerability without defensiveness. Um, yes. Um, and the other thing just to think about, because um, I think I did mention two things, uh, is uh, collaboration. A lot of people think writing is the solitary process. And for many of us, it is. But at some point, it has to become collaborative. Yes. Yes, I totally agree. And then the prop from, from there with the coach, the process really opened up. I, I had some friends and I started talking about the, that I was writing this book and they were like, well, can you share it? Um, and I was, I, I said, sure, I can share it. So um, it, it started to open up more and more. And, um, you know, I, I wrote the book in a, in a year um, and it took about another year to figure out what they had to do with it. And then, and then it was a year again in, in publication. And there was a lot of rounds of editing and design and so forth that are incredibly collaborative processes. So, uh, you know, the book had a totally different title at one point. Creative Together came out of being creative together with the publishers and their, the, the team uh, there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I loved how the process started to... Um, demonstrate or model the content at some point yeah well i mean it, there there's some there's some validity there to it then right there's some it, it kind of validates the process yes. um from from what you're talking about um the other thing i want to talk about um uh is encouragement and and what, what role if any did the encouragement of others play in sort of keeping you sort of motivated keeping your head in the game to get this you know through to publication I think it makes uh, the support network is really critical because, you know, there were so many weekends, uh, you know, since I have a full time job and I'm writing a book, it's going to be evenings and weekends. So there were so many times when I had to say no or I had to make tough choices about where to put my time and energy. And my partner was incredibly supportive. My family was incredibly supportive. Uh, I, my, my colleagues were not as aware uh, that I was doing this, uh, although I did into the process start to share that I was writing a book and and, uh, and what it was about. Um, but my networks uh, of, of folks across different industries in the learning and organization development arena, they were very positive and started to give some feedback along the way. So yeah, I, I think, you know, and this is a point I make in Creative Together, it, our, the strength is our strength is going to come from our networks as we go into this new world of work that's emerging way more than from just ourselves or protecting something. Uh, yeah. We're going to really uh, develop a different kind of strength through networks uh, than we do through, um, through sort of so like small teams of people hiding something away and protecting it from, you know, from the, the input or the, the, uh, 
the disapproving eyes or the, or the approving eyes of others. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me, you know, what it takes to, to write a book, you know, aspiring authors will come up to me and say, you know, how do I do it? And, you know, there, there's the, you know, you have to be a curious person. You have to, um, you have to be, uh, you have to have vulnerability. You have to do it every day. You have to work. This is a craft that you have to work at every day. Um, and the other thing I say, which which a lot of people don't think about, is you you have to know where your support's coming from. You have to have people in your corner um, who are going to to help you throughout this process and keep your 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 energy, your confidence, your motivation up. And these these could be friends, family. It could be you know objective people in a writers group that you join or a critique group that you join. Um, for some people, it could be an agent if you're lucky enough. But mm-hmm. um, there is you have to have those people in your corner to to help you through it. Absolutely, Mike. And there's two things I might mention here in addition to that. And and one is um, based on a quote that Joseph Campbell said uh, that in, in his uh, work on the power of myth with Bill Moyers. He said, it's amazing how the landscape rises up to meet the hero on his or her journey. And I never forgot that because I thought that was such a powerful uh, idea. And I did notice as I was writing the landscape around me, what was happening, the situations I was in uh, were incredible uh, fodder um, and, and gave me all kinds of gifts along the way. And, and so I think it's important to understand that this support not just comes from individuals around us, but when we're, when we've got our intention clear and we're paying attention, all sorts of clues show up and information one of the things I talk about in Creative Together are these three truths. Um, and the last one is, is kind of connected to a, a, a poem that Rumi uh, said, uh, what you seek is seeking you. And I think that's, that's important as well. It might sound a little woo-woo to some folks, uh, you know, especially now that I'm on the East Coast. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, there is this, when we have intention and when we're paying intention, uh, attention, all sorts of things show up to help us along the way, including yeah. people and ideas and fragments of ideas and situations and so forth. And, you know, and it's, it's interesting. It's like, maybe they've always been there and maybe these signs have always been there, but because you're in the right frame of mind, you're, you're in the right spirit, you're in the right, you know, you're just paying attention differently. You're showing mm-hmm. up differently. You're observing it more. You're seeing it more. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a friend of mine has a, a famous quote, opportunity is not a lengthy visitor. I think Pasteur is the one who actually said it, but uh, you know, I think that's true too. Like let, let's look around ourselves with more attention and intention and consciously bring our creativity forward. That's what, that's the, right. that's one of the key messages of creative together. Right. Well, and I guess milk wasn't a lengthy visitor until Pasteur, you know, invented pasteurization. So how's that, right, for, right, how's that for exactly. a terrible joke? Um, <laughs> they there's, don't always, there's a lot of value. They don't always land. Um, well, you know, I, I love to, um, get to know my guests a little bit more, uh, and, and one way to do it is of course, talking about your book, but the other way to do it is to talk about pop culture. So I'm curious, Stephen, um, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Wow. I was a big TV addict and I love to come home from school and have a bowl of cereal and watch any string of shows. Now, you know, I grew up in Miami beach and so, uh, the string of shows that was on were the three stooges. I love Lucy, Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, I'm Dating Myself. But uh, these were the shows that were on Gilligan's Island. These were the shows that were on at the time. And, uh, you know, I think the 
especially the ones where uh, there was a figure in the show. Um, in a way, Lucy played that role in I Love Lucy, but then there was uh, Samantha in um, in Bewitched and and Jeannie in I Dream of Jeannie. Right, this person who had this ability to just create something. Um, you, and I think that that, that actually was, uh, you know, a, an important influence. I loved that idea of, you know, being able to pop over to Paris as uh, Samantha's mother might do uh, in Bewitched or right. uh, or make something happen, you know, make something happen that created a funny situation. So right. I think maybe that was part of my mischievousness that I still hope and hold uh, dearly these days. Hope is still around and hold dearly these days. Uh, but I think those were, in, you know, important formative pop culture experiences. I mean, as judgmental as Samantha's mother was, right? I mean, because she wasn't too fond of Darren. Darren one or Darren two, really. Yeah, I don't think she liked either one. And <laughs> she didn't like either one. <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, I just have to just pause again on Bewitched. Did you see the movie with Will Ferrell? And um, I did. Uh, Oh, what did you think Nicole of the Nicole Kidman? Nicole Kidman, Nicole thank Kidman. you. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't. I, it didn't quite land for me. I agree. It didn't quite land it for me. So I wondered sad. what it would. Yeah, I wondered what it would have been like if I had never really seen those shows. I was talking about them with someone just yesterday, um, who was younger, and they had no idea what I was talking. about. Yeah, and I mean, it, it was it, to me like I was so I was excited for it. I love Will Ferrell. I love Nicole Kidman. Uh, even though I blanked on her name 25 seconds ago, but um, it didn't land. And I think it like lost the spirit of the movie the same way. I was a big fan of chips growing up mm. um, the same way. The, the recent, you know, big screen adaptation of chips just didn't land, you know, cause it, it took away. It was completely different from, from the original series. I don't know if you saw that or not, but I, I saw some of the originals. I did not see the remake. Yeah. Um, Taken out of context, lots of things seem different. Maybe that's yeah. a succinct way of, uh, of reflecting now, on that. No, I just have to ask about the professor on Gilligan's Island because you mentioned you know people who can kind of create things out of nothing. I want to know if you have the same take on this because he would create like a radio out of coconuts, but not a boat to get off the island. Um, yes. Was this the biggest flaw of Gilligan's Island or were there bigger flaws? Uh, the biggest flaw may not have been that because, of course, the Howells had trunks and trunks of clothing and, uh, you know, there were all <laughs> there were all sorts of things. But, you know, of course, uh, probably the biggest flaw of Gilligan's Island might be that they never changed the formula from episode to episode. It was basically the same formula. And I think looking back on it now, they probably would have done three or four shows in a limited series and left it at that instead of playing out the same episode with different uh little different details so right. maybe that was the but but it was a different time and you know a folks, different folks time were, a different time folks were more tolerant of of that yeah how about music when you were growing up what did you like to listen to oh gosh well um i was the i was the first one in the family with a record player so I got to choose and my brother and I were in a pitted battle for 
sort of a, a you know like Nat King Cole, which might have been something I wanted to listen to, and Boston, which might have been something he wanted to listen to. So uh, you know we had to we had to share the record player, but I actually had control of it uh, back then. So. Uh, we probably got to hear a little more Nat King Cole or Ella Fitzgerald or Sarah Vaughan than uh, than Boston or Aerosmith or or maybe some things that he wanted to listen to. I'm guessing he was your younger brother. Uh, no, he's older. Oh, and, really? And, uh, yeah, I just had a I just had a taste for for jazz and sort of vocal. Uh, you know, I love music where the uh, the voice was as much an instrument as the mm. instruments. And I sort of found that in vocal jazz recordings. Oh yeah. You definitely don't get that in Boston or Aerosmith, but uh... <laughs> not, not, not in the same way, at least. <laughs> it's quite different. Um, what's another career you'd like to try? Um, if you could, if you could do uh, a uh, snap your fingers, like I dream of Jeannie, you know, Barbara Eden, if you could snap your fingers and try another career, what, what might it be? I have thought about this before, and I would have to say the same thing is true. I would love to be on a team of folks writing for a TV show, uh, a show like uh, Sex in the City, where the writing is really smart and all the all the um, stories are around a theme, but they're they're played out in each character's own personality. Um, uh, really smart, quick, um, maybe cutting edge. Uh, maybe another one, although it, it, it might be difficult today, but I could imagine being on the crew that was working on All in the Family mm-hmm. and how uh, we would need to take a really difficult situation and create a, a dynamic uh, to bring that out in a way that people were completely uncomfortable talking about. Uh, there are so many shows right now, uh, right now that are, are out there that I think are also interesting. But I, I like this. I like this comedy, psychology uh, humor personality uh, mix that that yeah. happened for me, say in, in in a show like Sex in the City. Yeah, and both, both of those shows you mentioned were just so groundbreaking, you know, in 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 different ways, right? So All in the Family tackled um, you know these big social issues from the point of view of you know somebody who was on the opposite side of, of yes. sort of what those social issues were, and that was sort of the the brilliance of the show and then sex in the city, you've got these, you know, four strong female characters living very independent and like female forward lives. You know, they, they weren't the, the happy housewives, you know, they weren't, you know, they were, they were single into their, their thirties and having a blast and having careers and, and no. talking about sex, like, uh, like men do almost, you know? <laughs> yeah. They were both you're right. Both were very groundbreaking and, and both, as I said, kind of, at the intersection of of our lives, our our narrative identities, and and psychology and friendship, and some really important themes in the case of Sex in the City, and you know, sort of changing the social fabric, uh, you know, through conversations and through dialogue and situations that that we all became a part of in the case of All in the Family. Yeah, um, I imagine I don't want to assume, but I imagine you uh, believe in the concept of having an inner child. Yes, um, I do. And I'm curious, how how do you feed your inner child? Nature. Nature is probably the uh, my most uh, powerful uh, sort of connection for my inner child. Um, and and I think, uh, as I said, as you said, we all have an inner child, 
for me, attuning to nature is really critical. I love to go to the beach. Uh, Jacksonville here in Florida, they have a beautiful beach. Uh, I can actually go in the water here. It's warm enough. Whereas in uh, in San Francisco, where I was beforehand, it was almost impossible to go swimming in the water. Uh, but I love reflections out in nature. So I, I look at the wet sand. I look at the sky reflecting wet sand or the sky reflecting on a you know, on a lake or something, uh, reflections on water and being in nature. That's what, that's what, uh, helps that inner child reconnect and recenter. No, I love it. It's, uh, that's great. And I do miss the Florida beaches. Um, cause mm. the ones up here in Connecticut are just not the same. Um, how one last one, um, if you could go back in time and give your younger self some words of advice, what would you tell the younger pre-doctorate Stephen? Mm. Maybe not to be so worried about how things will turn out. Uh, I think I've spent quite a bit of time, you know, wondering and worrying about how life would turn out or if I embarked on an adventure like writing creative together, uh, you know, how would it play out? Would I make it? Uh, what, what's going to happen with the hurricane that just passed by? You know, how bad is it going to be? So, you know, I, I think I would say don't worry so much. Just relax yeah. and and. There, the, the, there's a reason why in the book, I talk about this methodology I call the gifted methodology, you know, from the standpoint that we're all gifted with this creative potential. Um, the G stands for greet the unknown with passion instead of dread. And I would, that's probably the message I would, I would share. Uh, don't worry so much. We learn it all works out in the end. It's one of the most common answers I get to that question is, mm. you know, telling your younger self not to worry so much. And I think, it, we, of course, we can look back at it in hindsight. Mm -hmm. But um, when, you, when you're always living in a in, the, in constant worry, it just really takes you out of living in the moment. And you just miss so much, so many opportunities to maybe even find joy and, and thrive a bit more in life. I agree wholeheartedly. So important. I'm learning that lesson every day. Well, Creative Together, Sparking Innovation in the New World of Work is the book. The author is uh, Stephen Kowalski, Dr. Stephen Kowalski. Um, yeah. Stephen, where can people pick up this book? You can get it um, at your favorite online retailer. Uh, you can also visit my website, stephenkowalski.com. Uh, there on, our, on the book page, um, you can find all different kinds of uh, links to different real retailers. Uh, so that's that's the best place. Do visit the website, stephenkowalski.com. There's all kinds of extra resources uh, that show up as QR codes in the book, um, but they're there for anyone to, to take a look at articles and things I've written that connect to that. And uh, yeah, so there's lots of resources there. And also you can purchase the book from directly from my, from my site. All right. And then are you active on any social media platforms if people wanted to follow you? LinkedIn is my primary uh, social media uh, platform. Um, I love connecting with folks there and you should be able to find me, Stephen Kowalski, um, especially if you search for Creative Together, Stephen Kowalski. All right. I will be sure to put your website and your LinkedIn um, address in, in the show notes um, so people don't have to uh, hunt too, too far for that. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for dropping by Uncorking Story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you so much, Mike. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. 
If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Robbie Samuels hosts the On the Schmooze podcast. Robbie, tell listeners what to expect from the show. Since 2015, I've interviewed entrepreneurs who overcame challenges to achieve success in their field or industry. Tune in to On the Schmooze to listen as I ask deep questions to elicit untold stories about leadership and networking. And where can people subscribe? Find the show at ontheschmooze.com or on marketingpodcast.net or just search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You heard them. Go subscribe.